Okay, welcome back. Providence POV, Peter and Joe here again. Thursday, January 25th. By the time you're listening to this, it will be Friday the 26th. Providence coming off of a huge, gritty road win, um, a revenge win over Seton Hall. Providence takes that one 67-63 and splits the season series with the Hall. Uh, Providence and Seton Hall trade four-point home losses to one another, which is kind of ironic. Um, And in a a stunning display of uh, the basketball gods giving us some poetic justice, um, Kadari Richmond was unavailable for last night's game, which means that Providence beat Seton Hall without their best player and Seton Hall beat Providence without our best player. Um, Tons of storylines and things to take out of that one. But uh, Peter, how you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, I'm doing good. Providence uh, got a much needed resume win, right? Like you and I talked about earlier this week, it's the next Big East game, but we kind of knew how important this was just with games on the horizon, what you have this weekend. Obviously, this weekend's a, a massive game, but this weekend isn't your resume type of win. So you needed a way to pick up another resume win. You got a quad one win last night or Wednesday night. And at times in that game, Joe, and obviously we're going to get into it in a little more detail, it looked like the lead – well, the lead did slip away, but it looked like the game was slipping away at times. So I want to give credit to the team for battling back and having a really good stretch run in the end of the second half to come out with a victory. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, um, adversity. The, the team definitely went through some adversity yesterday in the second half. Uh, went down 51-41 and, you know, just chipped and clawed back into it. This has been a theme now with the Friars on the road. We saw this uh, on the road at Creighton and on the road at St. John's where the Friars took double-digit deficits in the second half but chipped and clawed back in to make it close games. Pro- they didn't close out uh, and and get the win against Creighton or against St. John's, but you knew they were due for it to eventually climb the mountain and overcome the hump, and they did it yesterday evening. It wasn't necessarily a full-team uh, effort, though, um, with the scoring very lopsided in favor of the starters. We'll get to that in a little bit. But, uh, you know, Peter, just raw reactions to, you know, the final score and, you know, the players, uh, everything. I think the final score being 67-63 is, one, I think I think it bodes well for both teams in general, just how both teams want to play, mm-hmm. uh, not playing that, like, 80-75 type of game. You know what I mean? I don't think that fits well for either of these two teams. But, like I said a minute ago, I like you were down 10. You were down 51-41 after a Dawes three-pointer that made with about 12 minutes left in the game. And that was kind of gut check time, right? Like this season has been a lot of gut check time, like who you are as a team and who do you want to be as a team. And that you look, Joe, they, they battled back. Uh, they got some stops. They played some good defense. And they got their offense kind of back in a rhythm. At times, uh, Josh Adoro in the second half was amazing. He he struggled in the first half mightily. You and I texted texted back and forth about that, and he, he just looked like he wasn't comfortable. Uh, Bediako was playing very physical. 
Uh, probably should have had about 15 uh, fouls on both offense <laughs> and defense, but he only ended up with three, uh, neither nor here or there. But Agadoro battled back in the second half, and I think he had one of his better performances of the season when you kind of needed it. And look, I, I, credit to the team for going down 10, Joe, on the road with 12 minutes left in the game. You could have weighed down and lost by 15, right? Like that was yep. 100% in the cards there. And you and I would have been talking about tonight, another loss, what went wrong, where do they go from here, like all that kind of stuff. And instead, they battled back and they kind of grinded it out. And also in the second half, Joe, Seton Hall started like shooting like 86% from the field to start the second half. Like they were shooting unbelievable, but credit to them. But they kind of cooled down and the Friars battled back and, and they won a nice grinded out game and one thing i'm going to mention before you can go you made free throws yep oh my this is how important both teams did to be honest both teams went 16 for 17 and see how important free throws are but overall very it's a fun game to watch but very 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 good win you and i have teased this for most of the season now um that we are either going to win games or lose games because of free throw shooting and at St. John's, we lost that game by two points and missed. I forget. It was somewhere in the neighborhood of 11 free throws. Yeah, 11 for 21 or something like that. Right. We that. lost that game because of free throw shooting. Last night, Providence won by four, but sunk 16 of 17 from the stripe. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, 16 of 17. Right. And no matter how hard John Fanta was trying to jinx us <laughs> late in the second half there, and I know I'm not the only one that caught on that when Alamir Dawes was at the stripe, John Fanta didn't talk about percentages. He didn't talk about how many he's missed. But the second a Providence player goes to the stripe, it was, oh, well, he's made X of X or he, he's X percent shooter on the season. It got to the point where uh, Sarah Kustak, who was on the call with Fanta, was like, John, do you believe in the announcer's jinx? Like, But anyway, I digress. Providence had a, you know, just a, Iron balls night at the line. I'm sorry for the expletive, but like that's how good it was, right? Oduro and Pierre combined for 12 for 12 from the stripe. The only friar that actually missed a free throw was Corey Floyd Jr., but he still completed the back end of the one and one of the, uh, I'm sorry, the double bonus. Huge, gutsy, iron horse performance at the line. And that was one of the difference makers, I think. The second part of, you know, doing the little things was defending their asses off. And Providence did a really good job, especially late in the second half, once they had reclaimed the lead of just defending the hell out of Seton Hall. Uh, see, neither team scored a field goal in, I think, the last two, three, four, five minutes of the game. Um, and Seton Hall was just at a loss defensively. I think. Like you said, Peter, they started the second half with their hair on fire. Alamir Dawes was perfect from the floor uh, and route to his career night. But, you know, at one point or another, the well runs dry. And for Seton Hall, they they tapped it a little too early, I think. And credit Providence with the defensive intensity late in the second half. Yeah, like like you said, like we've talked about a ton of times, Joe. Like we talked about the free throws. The defense has struggled without Bryce Hopkins. And the rebounding has struggled without Bryce Hopkins. And I do and we got kind of owned on the glass. Yeah, they kicked their ass on the backboards. For about three quarters of this game. 
Granted, I thought they were going over back over the back a handful of times, but they didn't call it. So you got you got to you kind of got to live with it. And obviously, Rafael Castro got a little frustrated, maybe a little too frustrated by shoving uh, Betty Yako, which obviously was warranted. Not it was guaranteed a foul. It, it's not a flagrant. I don't think it was ever, and they didn't call it, but it was a foul. You, you can't kind of shove that. But he did get. I like the no. I like the no call there. Sorry to cut you off, but I think you're when you're in a physical chippy game like that and. Like Seton Hall is a gritty team. Like they chirp, they mouth off. Like, yeah. and you look at Betty Yako, he is the embodiment of that. He shoves, he pushes, he's oh. physical, and he's mouthy. So when you see Oduro is, is taking it from him and then Castro gets in on it, you're going to give him a little chip back. And I, I like the no call there because um, the officials were aware of what was happening. You, you like the no flagrant call. I like the no flagrant call. Yes, yes. I agree. thank you. You're not thank saying you. there's yeah. not a foul there. That's what you're No, no, no. There was a foul there, but I'm glad it was just a common yes. foul because yes. I think I that's the right call. Yes, I agree. Uh, but no, I thought down the stretch, Joe, they did a very good job of rebounding. Mm-hmm. Like the total numbers, we got out rebounded by seven, but and we all we got killed on the offensive glass. But I thought that was just the whole game. But I thought when it mattered in the final five to seven minutes of this game. The Friars kind of limited the second chance points at the scene hall because they were struggling. And a lot of their points they got in the first half, more or less, was because they got offensive rebounds. And that kind of kept them in the game. And then obviously it propelled them to a double digit lead in the second half. But I thought down the stretch, uh, the Friars kind of, kind of got a little more physical. Uh, and they started calling fouls on Seton Hall in mm-hmm. the second half. We didn't get a. We, Joe, I don't remember what point of the game it was, but you texted me that we took one free throw. It was either late in the first half or sometime in the second, early in the second half. I don't remember it exactly was, what it was, but Providence through the first, uh, I, twenty-seven or twenty-eight minutes, only got one free one foul called on them, and it was. Devin okay. Carter, who shot the free throw. It okay. was an end one. Yeah. Um, oh, that was early in the game, too. That was that little right. floater he had, that bank floater. Uh, yeah. No, but, but they started calling fouls because I also think we kind of got a little more aggressive. Well, right. Like, I, I think we we stopped settling, and we kind of got more aggressive. And eventually, they're gonna you're, you're going to force them to call fouls. <laughs> like, eventually, you're going to force someone to call call foul. And I thought down the stretch in the last handful of minutes, the Friars did a great job of rebounding not giving up second chance points and then getting to the line. And when you're down double digits points at the line with the clock, not moving is so, so crucial. Huge. And, and I thought we did a great job of kind of, I don't know if this was a coaching staff or a player's decision, just realizing guys, we can, we did this against St. John's too. We just didn't make free throws against St. John's. We did exactly the same thing in the second half against St. John's. We realized we had to get to the line and get downhill because they'll foul you. We just didn't make free throws against St. John's. And this one against Seton Hall, they did the same thing in the second half. They got downhill. They got to the line. They got physical. And they, the difference was they made free throws. And I feel like that is a very – that should what should be the game plan for the Friars, to be that physical team, that team that just goes after the basket relentless and forces the refs to call fouls. Right. I think you're spot on there, and I think – Part of why, you know, or part of the equation that led to Providence being more physical was attacking the glass. Um, I didn't have the opportunity to 
listened to it yet, but I've seen a few quotes here and there from the post-game press conference. And what it sounds like is that at halftime, Kim English really got into his guys and, you know, inspired them to go out and just honestly be tougher and rebound better because the discrepancy from the first half to the second half is like night and day. I mean, the first half we were soft, we were getting pushed around and we let Seton Hall's physicality get to us in the second half. The guys were scrappy. They fought for rebounds and the results, like you've, you've said, Peter was, you know, a, a near perfect performance at the stripe, which ultimately helped seal the win. So it was a, a tale of two halves, a really gritty comeback. Um, you know, I think we would be remiss without mentioning the contributions of ticket gains in the first half. He was so efficient. Six of eight from the floor, five of seven from the field uh, from deep for the entire game. Finished with 17 points. But, you know, four of those five made threes came in the first half. He was on fire. Um, and this is the type of performance that we need from him you know, on a, a, a consistent basis if Providence is going to compete in this upper half of the conference. Right now we're still in that log jam, but if there's potential to compete at the top, Ticket's got to produce that night in and night out. Yeah, I thought Ticket was – I think, look, he kept us in the game in the first half and also propelled us to – I think it was a seven-point lead we had somewhere late in that first half that obviously kind of fell apart towards the end of the first half. Uh, but he, his shooting was great. I thought he was more physical than he has been in the past, and he had six rebounds, five defensive rebounds, Joe. And you and I have talked about picking games because he's been forced to play kind of a role that when he probably when he signed on to become a fire, when he came with Kim English from George Mason, that was not the role he kind of – anticipated or I think Kim English anticipated for him. He's had to fill that type of Bryce Hopkins role. Obviously it's a t- some of other guys as well, but he's had to have more of a presence on defense. He's had to have more of a presence down low. He has to be more physical, right? Like, and then obviously he has the shooting, which is one of the reasons we brought him in here is because we, we know he's a good three point shooter. He's a little inconsistent, but when he's on, he's really on. And I thought last night, as the game kind of went on, he got a little more physical. I thought what really turned his, sh- his shot went away in the second half. He didn't take a lot of shots in the second half, but in the first half, he got pushed by Betty Ako from behind, right? They yep. called somehow a blocking foul on him. No idea what the call was. It was, and they called it on, and that kind of led to Kim English's tech. But I thought that kind of woke up ticket gains on the, on the glass because I thought he was getting a little bit pushed around a little, and well, he was. He was, he was. And look, was it illegal being pushed around or is it not illegal? I have no idea. I thought it was illegal, but if they're not going to call it, you got to keep going at it. You know what I mean? Like, you, you got to do what you got to do. And I thought he got a little more physical in the second half, led to six total rebounds for him. And he might be starting to get a little bit more comfortable in a different role, which is, is great for the Friars. Yeah, I think um, the effort has been there from Ticket through this first uh, – stretch of conference games through these first eight games here. The effort's absolutely been there and especially in the absence of Bryce Hopkins. But what we're seeing now, like you said, Peter, is he's becoming a little more comfortable with his role because he's essentially playing the four spot, which in most college basketball teams is the power forward. Or if you know you're a little bit smaller, it's a small forward, but 
it's the it's a forward position, and Ticket is not built like a forward. If anything, you could make the argument that he's like a very small wing, but he's a shooting guard. So he's long, but he's skinny. And I think the physicality of the Big East overwhelmed him at points. But like you said, he's becoming a little bit more comfortable now in that role. And I think uh, his length defensively helps him. Um, but like you said, getting shoved around and, and getting abused in the paint, um, it takes some getting used to. And I think we're finally seeing him come to terms with that. Um, but to add on to you know the ticket gains argument here, I think the starters in general are getting more and more acclimated to playing in this Bryce Hopkins list team. Uh, we saw this, obviously, you know, it's DePaul, so take it with a grain of salt. And it was a DePaul team with their head coach on his way out before he got fired. So, again, take every, take that game with a grain of salt. But it does prove some things, and it's that the team is starting to click. And what we saw last night was a starting five, or really a starting four plus Corey Floyd that combined for 28 of the team's 32 rebounds and 59 of the team's 67 points. That's really important. And for a guy like Devin Carter, who has been leading the charge to only be set third in scoring and mm-hmm. still produce a road win over a tough, gritty opponent, that speaks volumes to the strides that these guys are making and the clicking that's happening behind the scenes. Because this wasn't the, the same team that took the floor against Xavier, against... St. John's and against Creighton. But now we're, we're almost three, four weeks without Bryce Hopkins. They're starting to click and the results are starting to form on the court and in the box sheet. Yeah. And we talked, you, you kind of mentioned offense there, Joe, the offense is never going to be pretty, right? Like it's, it's not, not a lot of teams in the big East play a pretty style of offense, right? Like outside of the handful of the teams, but that's also based off individual players on those respected teams, but I thought the Friars did a good job of running on fast breaks. And I thought one thing that led to them, they stopped, sh- hit, they stopped shooting threes mm-hmm. like I, in the second half down the stretch. Right. And like I said, a couple minutes ago, I think they do need to turn into a team that just relentlessly attacks the paint, but Devin Carter is the most important player on this team. Right. Like I'm not saying he's not, but when the offense, when Josh Adoro is able to finish around the rim, this offense is completely different, right? Like It really is. He was struggling in the beginning of the game, right? And I had some other people telling me, like, Josh Adoro struggling. Like, we kind of kind of have to go away from him, away from him, right? And my response was, we can't. Like, the roster is not built to go away from Josh Adoro. You live and you die, by, obviously, by Devin Carter. But you live and you die by Josh Adoro taking those layups, right? And we have died a couple times in, in these games, but we've also won a couple games because of that, right? Like, I mean, look at the last time we played Seton Hall. We died by yeah. Duro missed yeah. bunnies. But you have to keep going at it because no offense to everyone else on the team, and I agree, there people are trying to pick it up a little more. The Jaden Pierre's of the world, the, the world, uh, Tiki Gaines of the world, and obviously Devin Carter. But Joe, you have to keep going to Josh Adoro. He doesn't have to take 25 shots, but he has, and he only took eight last night, and he got to the line six times, which is what I love him getting mm-hmm. to the line. Is if he can make free throws, he becomes a very essential asset. But he, you kind of live and you die by it, right? Like 
it's part of this team and it's what's going to happen. It's going to struggle at times because he doesn't have that athleticism to play. In the Big East. Not to play in the Big East because he had a good game in the Big East. He doesn't have, he's not super athletic, right? Like that's not, even though that reverse slam was, I had no idea he had that in him uh, down the, at the end of the game, which was awesome. But you can tell he doesn't have that typical athleticism that plays in the Big East, right? Like he's just not super athletic. He kind of beats you like an old man's game. He kind of beats you with his pump face, with his hook, with his layup, kind of that type yep. of thing. But I do think this team is going to have to keep going to him and keep going to him and keep going to him. But when he is on and he is making his layups or getting to the free throw line, this offense completely opens up like nothing before. But when he struggles, the offense becomes very condensed People are not making shots, and it's a lot of just guys dribbling in space. And settling. Don't forget the yes. settling. settling. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I agree with every point you made. Um, you know, it, it it speaks for itself, um, and the performances that we've seen the past couple of games are a testament to this, right? Uh, with Bryce Hopkins out of the fold now, Josh is really the the – the premier paint asset that this team has, and you have to play through him. Um, especially once we start getting into, you know, matchups with, you know, the Connecticut's of the world and, you know, the Villanova's of the world where they have some, you know, strong paint players. Josh has got, it has got to be on. Um, and last night we saw Josh kind of return to the efficient form that we saw for most of the season, minus that stretch of losses. Uh, you know, efficient from the field, hits his free throws, scores in double figures, sweeping the glass. Like it was, a, it was a man's performance from Josh, and it's what we needed to win the game. Um, I think just you know going down, excuse me, going down the box sheet here. Um, you know, Pierre had a really good second half. He was quiet in the first half. He turned the ball over, wasn't making great decisions, and I'm really impressed by the way that he cleaned it up in the second half. He actually finished with more rebounds than he did assists, which, you know, I'll take it. Nor I, I would like for your starting point guard to have four or five assists, but if he's going to pull down five rebounds, then I'm okay with that. Um, and obviously, Devin Carter, you know, continuing to do the Devin Carter things that he always does. 14 points, six rebounds, six assists, two steals, only one foul, no turnovers. You know, Devin Carter is an All-American, and... Uh, we'll be fortunate if, uh, you know, if he's on our team next year, if, you know, I think he's going to the league, but yeah, uh, you know, the team, like you said, lives and dies by Devin Carter. If he's third in scoring in a win, I'll take that any day of the week. You mentioned Jaden Pierre, right, Joe? Mm-hmm. It took him a little while in this game. It, it, you know what I mean? I thought he didn't play one of his better first halves and and he's not the best defender, so I thought he was kind of getting beat against some of the players on Seton Hall. But it did – he did pay – it did pay off to go – to stay with him. Kim Ingo stayed – sorry. Kim Ingo stayed with him in the second half, right? Right. And it, it kind of paid off, right? He made – he was six for six from the free throw line, which is huge down the stretch. And I thought he made a couple threes. I think he needs to shoot more threes. I do too. I think I don't. A lot of these players, no offense, I don't advocate for a lot of three point shooting. Like Devin Carter's had a great three point shooting season, wasn't great against Seton Hall. I do think Devin Carter needs to get to the hole more because I think he's a great finisher and needs to stop settling at times. But I think mm-hmm. Jaden Pierre, not 
take. I think he's good at finishing when he goes into contact, but he's a little lackadaisical with the ball. He had a couple turnovers early in the game. In the early in the second half, we gave the ball up a couple times, and we were just handing Seton Hall points, which you cannot do in the Big East, and that's one of the reasons we got down double digits in the second half. But I thought Pierre got comfortable as the game went on. I thought he started yeah. really skittish. He was didn't really want to shoot the ball, didn't really find a shot. But as the game went on, he got better. He got more comfortable. The turnovers, like the last 10 minutes, I thought, I thought the last 10 minutes of basketball in this game was a really good performance by Jaden Pierre. And if you can kind of hone that in, that's the point guard we need. The problem is we can't have that first half again where he kind of is basically a no-show. And the problem is when Jaden Pierre is a no-show, he's not the best defender. So we, well, he kind of becomes a little bit of a liability at times. But before I know you're going to write – Gonna say something before that. I thought Jaden Pierre was good in the last ten minutes. He was good when it counted. So maybe that's all that matters. Well, you alluded to this. I think part of the fix for Jaden Pierre was taking him off of Alamir Dawes. Yes. And I, I saw this. Or I not saw. I noticed this during the last matchup, and that is that Dawes was cooking Pierre off the bounce. Um, like you said, Pierre is the team's best three-point shooter. He's good on offense, but defensively has kind of been a liability at times this season. And I was kind of scratching my head a little bit as to why we had Devin Carter on Dylan Adaiwusu for so long and not Alamir Dawes. Um, you know, Adaiwusu did absolutely nothing last night. He went 0 for 11, right? Like was a, a complete non-factor yeah. in the scoring column. I think Devin Carter. What's that? He's actually 0 for 13. 0 for 13. See, you think it's (laughs) – I thought it was less. It's even worse. (laughs) Um, But I think part of the reason that Jaden Pierre struggled in the first half was because he was assigned Alamir Dawes. And we didn't really see the the change from Pierre to Carter on Dawes until about, you know, midway through the the first 10-minute stretch of the second half. And that's when Carter started shutting down Dawes. Pierre started heating up on offense and Providence started taking the lead. So I think that's a really, you know, important piece to this too, is Pierre was struggling defensively. You know, this guy is scoring all over you. Obviously that affects your confidence, but it also affects your, your stamina too. The guy's quicker than you. He's beating you off the bounce every single time he's getting a shot with ease. You know, you become frustrated. All of a sudden there's a switch. Carter takes the defensive load of Dawes and Pierre, you know, suddenly starts, you know, sparking offensively. So I, I think there's a correlation there, um, not to drone on too much about Jaden Pierre, but all in all, I think, you know, the point stands that he had a really good second half. He needs to take more threes and, you know, down the stretch here, we keep saying this broken record on this podcast, but, you know, Jaden Pierre, along with ticket gains, are so important to the, the you know, the long-term success of this team without Bryce Hopkins. We know what Carter's going to do. We know what Oduro's going to do. We need that third level of scoring, um, and I think those two guys are really going to have to pick up the slack like they did last night. Yeah. No. No, I completely agree. And one final th- I, I, one final thing about Devin Carter, like you said, I thought Devin Carter had a, a good performance. I think when he gets – I feel like I say this for everyone. I think he needs to be more aggressive getting into the lane, right? I think yeah. he settled for a couple threes down the stretch that I thought weren't great shots. Uh, he 
he's he makes his game. He's really good at those long distance threes or those fadeaway threes. He's really good at it. I just think when he gets a guy on his hip, when he gets a guy behind him, take it into the lane because I do think his still his best part of his game is his finishing at the rim. I just don't want him to go away from that as much as he has done at some points of games. But you can't really complain about Devin Carter because how much how much of the load he carries for this team. But that's just one thing I want to point out with Devin Carter. Yeah, it's hard to, uh, like you said, complain about Carter. He has, I mean, he's been spectacular the whole season. But since Bryce went down, you can tell that he has made it a mission to be the guy for us. Um, so, I mean, I, I really, you know, it's it's hard. But I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, he, changing up his style a little bit, driving, not settling for threes, you know, could reap some benefits offensively, 100%. Um, all right. I think that should do it for the Seton Hall recap. Friars take that one 67 to 63. They avenge the loss at home to Seton Hall from three weeks ago, uh, you know, split the season series, avoid the sweep, so on and so forth. Okay, Peter, this is, you know, this is the fun part. Um, Saturday, 1230, high noon, uh, nationally broadcasted on Fox, Ed Cooley and the Georgetown Hoyas come to the Amica Mutual Pavilion. The Providence community has had this one circled on the calendar since before it was scheduled. This is, you know, like you said early on in the show, it's not a resume building win, but my God, if there was ever a game for morale and bragging rights and a metaphoric middle finger, it is this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's going to be interesting, right? And I like playing devil's advocate in in this situation. And I like saying like it's the next it's the next game, right? Because that's what Kim English kind of says, and, that, and that's that's what it is, right? And like that's like I said earlier, Joe. One, obviously, this is a game you can't lose because of Ed Cooley returning, right? We we all got that, and it's been beaten into our heads, I think, enough, right? Like at this point. But secondly. You kind of just erase what you just did against Seton Hall if you go lose on Saturday, right? Like, right. this is a game that, like, emotions and emotions aside, and coolly aside, you have to go win the basketball game because of who you're playing, not because of who you're playing against, who's coaching that team, but the team that you're playing with their eight and eleven record and one and seven in conference, right? Like, this is a game if you want to get to the NCAA tournament that you cannot lose. It, it doesn't. You cannot lose this game, and obviously, once the uh, the ball is tipped. It doesn't really matter who's coaching on that in that side. So I'm playing that. I'm going to play that kind of devil's advocate. And I'm going to be honest with you here, Joe. Well, we all know our our feelings towards Ed Cooley and how he left and all that. We all know that, and it's been beaten into a drum. It's been talked about, I think, more than enough. Right at this point, yeah. I'm excited for Sunday morning. You know why I'm excited for Sunday morning because. If the Friars win, that'd be one of the things. And two, the Ed Cooley returning things over. Because I'm kind of done with it at this moment. It's been – and I'm not saying, like, we shouldn't be, like, amped up for the game. And I'm not saying – No, no, no. I, I know what you're how, saying. How they should feel. 
but I'm, I'm kind of overall like the Twitter stuff and the social media stuff. And I'm seeing his name and fire people tweeting about it, right? Like I'm ready for us to go win this game on Saturday and move on because we have one, a bigger picture of the season for us where we want to get to. And two, we got our own issues, man. Like we're trying to battle back. We're trying to get above 500 in the big East. We're trying to boost our resume. We got UConn coming up on Wednesday, right? We got some, we got our own issues. It's some good and some, and some very, some very bad. The one beat the Bryce Hopkins injury. So I'm ready for this game. I'm ready for three, I guess three o'clock on Saturday, basically when this game is kind of over and we kind of can move on from the whole thing. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I hear what you're saying. Um, actually, early, like during my lunch today, I was reading a bunch of articles. I know, uh, Kevin McNamara put out a really good one. John Fanta put one out. I was reading the casual Hoya article and I thought to myself, like, I am sick of reading the same storyline that this man needed a change. And Georgetown has a higher ceiling. I was like, at one point I was like, I probably have spent 40 minutes to an hour and 20 reading Twitter, reading articles about, did Ed Cooley make the right decision? Did he not make the right decision? What did he do? You know, what what personal shady background stuff was he doing? What wasn't he doing? Was he, a, you know, a dick for doing it at the end of the season? I, I got to the point today where I just, like, muted Twitter on my phone because I was sick of reading it. And it, it, both sides are beating the dead horse here. The And I get it. Listen, I get it. I, I am... More, I just want to disclaim here. I am, I'm going to the game. I am going to wear my Ed Cooley barstool clown shirt. I'm going to boo the hell out of him when he walks in. But frankly, I'm tired of reading about it. Like, mm-hmm. enough is enough. The Providence burners are killing him. The Georgetown burners are crying about the documentary, and, and Providence fans are mean. Like, at this point, just play the goddamn game, play the basketball game, yeah. let Kim English do his thing. I, I, and let's call it a day. I, I'm also. I'm no, super excited. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm no, still excited as hell for the game. I cannot wait to boo him when he walks through the the uh, the tunnel. But all of this hysteria going into it, it, it's it's really beating the dead horse. Yeah, the social media aspect, I, I, it drives me nuts. The amount of Twitter accounts I've, I guess, either unfollowed or muted. Uh, trying to be nice here, but muted just because they keep talking about Ed Cooley. And and I get it. And, and I get it. Like, how much Ed Cooley meant to the, the program, how much he meant to the school, what he did for the school, what he did for the program. And I and I, and I get all that stuff and how he left. And I, and I know I was on campus. I was a senior. I was on campus when he left. I got interviewed by NBC 10. Right? Like, I get the whole thing, and I understand it. But I think – at this point, we have a new coach. We have a new program. We have new players, right? Like, we are trying to build something here with Kim English here. And obviously, Georgetown mm-hmm. is trying to build something with Ed Cooley. I think at this point, I think I'm excited for the – I'm excited for the game because it's going to be fun hearing – I'm not going to the game, but on the broadcast, found, finding all the Twitter videos of people booing him, all that kind of stuff. I think that's fun, you know, and I'm excited for it. And he deserves to get booed. I, I 100% agree. But I'm excited for the post of just if we beat them, we move on, and we don't have to talk about this. Because if, if I see someone start tweeting about Ed Cooley next Wednesday when we got UConn that evening, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. It, it, I understand all of it, and 
I don't necessarily disagree with any of the, this pregame hype. I just am getting a little. It, 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 the, watch. the script is running a little stale. It it's, is it, it basically Saturday the bottom. Needs to get here. It needs to get here. yeah. Like you know, like we need like it's the the problem is is the the storyline and the narrative has been dragged out so yeah. for such a, an extended period of time now. The game is in two days, but it feels like it's in four weeks. Like that's where I'm at with this. Like I keep opening my phone and thinking, like, what next? You know, t- what what kind of tweet or storyline or, or development am I going to find when I open my phone? Um, now, listen, that's not to say that Cooley's not deserving of the you know the booze and you know the crowd getting on his ass on Saturday. I think you know. It, you can compare it to this. You people leave jobs in America all the time. I just I, I made a job switch over the summer. People do it all the time. On the flip side of things, Kim English just made a job switch from George Mason. Mm-hmm. Right? Like like coaches and humans in America do this all the time. So it's not abnormal. The way that Ed Cooley left, he had one foot out the door. He had young men on last year's team that were counting on him for coaching and guidance. He bailed on them. He fed lies to the community that, you know, raised him and then didn't so much as, you know, give a goodbye that was anything more than a pre-written scripted tweet and a Zoom call to his team. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, that if that isn't the biggest kick between the legs to the program that put you in the national spotlight, the 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 program that was willing to match Georgetown's five plus million dollar contract offer, the program that gave you anything that you wanted, you had the key to the city. You want a thirty million dollar practice facility? You you got it. We're gonna we're actually gonna stop building an academic building so that you can have your practice facility in time for next season. Anything that that man wanted snap of the fingers, the Providence administration gave it to him. The fan base would swoon for him. You know, it it was, he had everything and he couldn't so much as, you know, say, uh, give us a formal goodbye, be honest with the media, the, the whole what rumors uh, episode that happened before the Kentucky game. The, putting your house on the market in early mm-hmm. March, tanking the last two home games. I don't mean to go on here because now I sound like the the, the articles and, and what I've been reading on Twitter, but essentially long-winded rant short. He deserves everything that's coming to him on Saturday. If you're someone on the Georgetown side or in the national media and you're saying, I really hope you know Providence fans acknowledge what Cooley did and they're nice to him on Saturday – Go shove it. Fans can feel how they want to feel. If they want to clap and cheer and acknowledge the good, go ahead. If you want to boo the shit out of him, go ahead. But stop telling people what to do and how to feel. And end rant. Yeah. No, good. Uh, One final thing I want to say on the whole thing. And I agree with you, right? Like people, like you just said, you move jobs over the summer, right? Like people move jobs. It's like you said, Kim English moved a job. The whole staff of the Friars, right? They left the previous job to come coach for the Friars, right? And especially in college sports and mainly college football and college basketball, coaches changing and coaches going to different programs 
is not abnormal. Like it's a normal thing as college football fan and as college basketball fans, you get it right. It's, Mm -hmm. it's like you said, it's exactly how he left it. He could have left, right? Like if he left the right way, you're fine. It's could we still be annoyed with him? Hundred percent. But if you leave and you're like, I got a big time job somewhere. Like when he was rumored to go to Michigan, if he took the Michigan job, went out of conference, I'd be like, that sucks. But that's part of basketball, right? And that's just a bigger payday. It's a bigger job, technically a bigger school, all that kind of thing, right? The thing is, he went in conference, which I never agreed with. I don't think I don't that should be allowed. That's just my opinion. I, I, I that, agree with you. That's a nasty I that should, move. And that's not a Cooley's fault. I think that's a big East's fault, but it's also on Cooley as well for going to Georgetown. But my opinion is you shouldn't be allowed to go in conference. That is just how I feel about it. And it's also like, like, like you said, the way he left and all that kind of thing. And look, you, you kind of burn a page on a new era in, uh, in Providence basketball. It was frustrating how he left and where he went and what school he went and obviously what conference that school had to be in. But and but look, Kim English is going to play the game of like it's just another game, and that's how he should be because – That's the right you, answer from the if, coach. And also, if you let the like, – also, the Georgetown players have nothing to do with this because it's like – you know what I mean? It's like a little like you're more mad at the coach than the players because you have nothing to do with Georgetown players. Uh, but if you take care of business, you got to go into this game with the mindset. You just got to take care of business. Uh, you're going you're going to be heavily favorited. It's not a resume win at all. It's your home game. Georgetown is 8-11 on the season at the moment. So they're below 500 or on the season, and they're 1-7 in conference. But obviously, look, the fans can say whatever they want to him. Uh, they're going to boo him. So whoever tells you they're not is out of their mind. I'm not saying not everyone's going to boo him. I, I don't think that's the case. I think there will be people that don't boo him, or and you can do whatever you want. I think a majority him. is going to boo him. I agree. I agree. I'm 100% with you on that. Uh, but look, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be. I, I'm excited to see some of the videos that come out from all that kind of things, but he's going to get booed. But once the basketball is is tipped, it's all business for the fires. And like Josh Adoro, Ticket Gaines, those type of players, Garway do all have – I guess Garway was recruited by Cooley, so he has connections there. But Ticket Gaines, Josh Adoro, no connections to Ed Cooley or Georgetown. They're going to play. Obviously, Bryce Hopkins is not playing in this game. Right. But – We'll see the energy that comes out of the Jaden Pierre's of the world or the Devin Carter's and those type of players that played under Ed Cooley, and we'll see where they go from there. But Joe, you gotta take care of business. Doesn't yeah. matter who's coaching on that side of the ball, and I know it's gonna be electric. I know the place is gonna be rocking, which is obviously gonna bode well for the Flyers. But you have to play a solid forty minutes of basketball, and you have to take care of business. Yeah, extracurriculars aside, um, I think the game plan is really simple here. You need to shut down Jaden Epps and, you know, let the offense come to you. And and that's really, really it. You need to limit Georgetown's three-point attempts. I think uh, Oduro wins the battle against Supreme Cook. You give Devin Carter the matchup assignment of Jaden Epps and then you know, the rest should fall into place. The worst thing that could come out of this is, I think, a quadrant four loss. Oh, my God. And, and then he kind of sticks it to us, too. <laughs> right. It, like It's just bad. It's a double whammy because 
Ed, Coo- Ed Cooley beats you in his return to Providence and also all of the work that you did on Wednesday night to scrape and claw and get a Q1 win at Seton Hall goes right down the shitter. So, you know, I listen, I'm sure that Kim is going to have the guys ready. He's going to have I, I, I don't know much about, you know, his behind closed doors coaching style, but I'm sure he's going to have them prepared to you know, drown out the negativity and feed off of just the overall energy from the crowd. Uh, You know, it's going to be a very emotional game for Devin Carter, who I think we've mentioned on air before. I don't think he likes Jaden Epps very much. Um, I don't know if we mentioned that on air, but you know, there's, there's some social media, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into it, but I I don't think Devin Carter is a big fan of Jaden Epps. Anyway, there's going to be a lot of, you know, there's going to be a lot of noise. And I think the bottom line here is Kim English is going to do a, a hell of a job preparing his guys to, to drown that out. Um, and on the flip side, this is going to be an environment unlike any that Ed Cooley and his team are going to see this season. I mean, as hostile as environments can be as rowdy and as loud and as, well lubricated they can be this is going to be the (laughs) top of like the top for them um i am really really excited to be there Uh, again i'm going to be wearing my ed cooley clown shirt i'm going to be booing my lungs out uh, with my you know tall boy narragansett at 12 30 in the afternoon but you know most importantly like you said peter you have to take care of business you have to win the basketball game you're right. Just because you're going to have a rowdy crowd at home doesn't mean shit. The players have to come. They have to defend the way that they defended Seton Hall and, you know, stick to the offensive game plan. Yeah. My, my final thoughts, like you said, you got to win the game. You got to take care of business. Uh, there's a bigger picture on the horizon, not just who you play after Georgetown, but just in general and where this team kind of got back on track against Seton Hall on Wednesday and Joe, you don't want to just toss it away, right? No. That would be very unfortunate if they just completely tossed away what they did against Seton Hall, getting right back, maybe on the good side of the bubble uh, and getting a nice resume win. And it would be very unfortunate if they suffered a loss at home, uh, not even who was coaching on the other side in Anacoli, but just the team. Uh, just to Georgetown. Just to Georgetown, 100%. I don't think they will, but it's college basketball. You got to have your head uh, on, a, on a swivel, and you got you to gotta play a good solid 40 minutes of basketball. Uh, I'll leave you this with this final one-liner here. Regardless of who the head coach is, a home loss to Georgetown – is a resume-breaking loss. Mm -hmm. And that is why Providence fans are so pissed that Ed Cooley went there. All right. I think that's going to do it from us. Providence beats Seton Hall 67-63. They look ahead to their matchup at home against the Georgetown Hoyas. That one will be Saturday at 12.30 on Fox. You'll hear from us the following Tuesday morning. Hopefully my vocal cords are still intact because I will be at the game, as I've mentioned several times. Um, 
As a reminder, the podcast, as always, is brought to you by House Enterprise and House of College Hoops. Head over to the website if you haven't already to consume some of our awesome content. But for Peter DiBiase, this is Joe Howie. Enjoy this weekend if you're going to the game. Thank you for listening. And as always, go Friars. Go Friars.